Welcome to Leadership is in Session, powered by Athena Communications. This special series features some of Milwaukee's most distinguished leaders. They'll share how they overcame challenges, developed their skills, and achieved success, so you can gain insight and inspiration. And now, Leadership is in Session. Well, welcome, everybody. Today, we are in the studio with Frank Cumberbatch to talk about equity and opportunity, social impact, and sports. Frank, welcome. Thank you. So, it's awesome to be here. We are so happy that you are here, and you are the Vice President of Engagement at Bader Philanthropies, which is an incredible organization, and it focuses on improving the quality of life for people, young and old, through grants and program-related investments. Will you talk to us about this and what your work entails? Well, Bader Philanthropies is a 32-year-old foundation. My role at the foundation as the vice president for engagement is really about just being all over the city and understanding the needs of the city and how those needs align with the vision and values of the foundation. I represent the foundation everywhere I go, but I utilize my life experiences to identify and stay even ahead of what I see are the issues in the community so that the foundation could always be in position to react and even sometimes to craft solutions to those problems. What are you seeing right now? What is Bader focused on at the forefront that you and Bader consider as one of or some of the most pressing issues for the city? I think there are two One is housing. The housing issue is at the core and at the foundation of a lot of the other social issues in the city. The way we look at it is if a human being does not have a safe, decent place to live, it's extremely difficult to work on the other issues such as their health such as educating their own children, keeping their own mental, physical, emotional well-being in line, so to speak. So housing housing is major. And secondly, around housing is, one, the amount of affordable housing for, let's say, people making under $20 an hour is is extremely rare. And so we think there needs to be a focus there. So again, working people can have decent housing. The second one is this escalation in violence. We really think that's a major threat to the future of the city as a whole. Young people involved in these violent activities is really a symptom of a bigger problem, a problem that was elevated by COVID. It was always there, but COVID has caused a lot of mental health issues for a lot of people, not just young people. And we're started to work on some of these issues by bringing people together, convening folks around the subject of violence. But those are the two there are a whole bunch of others, but those are the, to respond to your question, those two are up there. 
So as we talk about these social determinants of health, and certainly you think about them on a daily basis, Mm -hmm. Bader thinks about them on a daily basis. I know of you that you believe that transformational work can't be achieved here. So here, Milwaukee, regionally, statewide, nationally, even globally, unless people bring their authentic selves to the table. Why is that? First of all, we can solve a lot of these problems. Secondly, they're complex. And so you have to be authentic in terms of working on them because they can overwhelm you because they're they're really hard and they're really big. Now, neither you nor I can solve them all. So what we have to do is look inside of ourselves and try to figure out what did we wake up this morning to do? What is our purpose? And if you can find your own purpose in all of what needs to be solved, you're going to be very productive because you're going to be going at it in a very true, authentic way. And that could mean if you see a solution that you recognize, listen, there's not going to be any reward for me to solve it. If you're true and authentic about the solution, you're not going to be worried about if you get, if you're getting paid or whatever. You're just going to go right at it. And that's what we need. We need thousands of people to find their purpose, look at the problem and believe in their soul. They could be part of the solution. And if we do that, we're going to have an army of people that could solve just about any problem in our communities, in this country, and around the world. So it's aspirational, but I also believe, yes, I believe it to be true. And speaking of purpose, you have a really interesting personal story. I think some people are familiar with your story, and there are some who aren't. You grew up in Trinidad, and you ended up in Wisconsin. Yes. How did that happen? Well, it's quite a journey now when I look back at it, but I didn't have much of a choice. I was born to two parents who were young, have any skills at all. I'm the eldest of seven. Born in the early days, I was an asthmatic. Believe it or not, I was a very shy kid, but I loved to read. And when I read about the world and I see there is a world that's different from the world I'm living in, as a young boy, I just decided I got to be part of that world. Now, when you're young, you don't know how you're going to do this. You just want it. Now, back on that island, In the time I'm talking about, the late 60s, early 70s, we had to take an exam at age 11. We grew up under British education. At age 11, we had to take an exam to go to high school. If you pass, you go. If you fail, you go home. I failed. I failed the exam. Later in life, I found out from my mother that I was so sick as a child, I averaged two to three days of school. And so it's later on I recognize why I failed. But after I failed, I heard my mother and my father in a conversation about my future. And my father said, we need the money, so he has to go to work. Remember, I'm 11. He can go to public works and make $1.50 an hour to start, and he can help the family. When my dad left, I said to my mom, I want to go to high school. And I said, just give me a pair of pants, two shirts because we have to wear a uniform. And I promise, I'll get you out of poverty. Now, 
Remember, I'm 11 years old. I have no idea what I'm talking about. I'm just talking from my soul. I promise you I'm going to do this. And she kind of looked at me, walked away for a bit. And I think it's a few hours later or maybe even longer, she said, for some reason I believe you. I'll convince your father you're going to high school. Well, I started going to high school, love going to school. But the magic happened when one of the kids in the neighborhood said, hey, there's a track team down the road. I'd like for you to come and join. Now, remember I told you I was an asthmatic. So I decided as a fool, I'm going to go join. I can't even breathe, but I'm going to go run, right? So I joined, but I could tell you, remember I was just talking about purpose? All of a sudden, life just got clear to me. I became part of something bigger than me. I had a reason to wake up in the morning, to do my homework, because I'm a part of this thing. I wear a uniform. The other guys depend on me. And I thought, wow, how cool is this? And that was my motivation to keep going, keep going to school. When things got hard, keep chipping away at it. But I wasn't very good at track and field. But I was doing pretty well in the classroom. And the kids in the club kept, they would go to Olympics. They got scholarships to go to American University. And in 1979, I got an academic scholarship to go to the University of Wisconsin in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. That might as well have been on Mars for all I'm concerned. But I took it and I knew I would fulfill my responsibility to my mother and my six siblings. I graduated from that university in 1984. I broke the school record in the 400 meters. It lasted for 38 years. They put me in the Athletic Hall of Fame at that university. and helped my mother build her first house with indoor plumbing, electricity, and running water. Why? Because I made a choice when I was 11 to find my purpose. I tell people all the time, poverty is temporary. You can end it if you want to end it, but you got to put in the work. Well, how do I know that? Because I did that. All of my siblings are here in the United States. They all have jobs. They all have homes. They all have families. We were as poor as poor can be. We slept seven to one bed, but boy, we were happy. We had each other. And if people could take only one thing away from this podcast is that there is a way. There is a way to lift your family up, but you got to put in the work and you got to commit to your children. In one generation, one generation, my eldest is a PhD in veterinary medicine. The second one is going to be a junior at West Point Military Academy. And the youngest is about to enroll on a full track and field scholarship at the University of Southern Carolina. California and study mechanical engineering. You can't tell me that you can't get out of poverty, but you just got to have some resolve. You got to commit. You were talking about being authentic. You got to focus. That was my goal. That is what got me up in the morning, seeing my mother's face and saying, not calculus or computer science or anything is going to prevent me from getting that old lady a place to live. And that's what brought me here, and that's what keeps me going. Well, 
I appreciate you sharing that. It's quite an incredible story, an incredible journey to think about you as a young man making that promise, that commitment to your mother, who obviously was very important in your life. And you talked about a few things. You mentioned specific words that I'd like to revisit, resolve, work, commitment, purpose. You have a large project on the horizon, and it's called the Opportunity Center. And this center, I think, would be the culmination of all of these things coming together. The Opportunity Center is a project that you're leading with Damian Buckman, and it is being designed as the country's first 100% accessible and inclusive community center. Where did the inspiration for this center, for this project, come from? What do you envision for this center? Well, first of all, it was born out of that journey I just described, but I'm getting old, I'll just say that. And in the last couple of years, I started to think about retirement and all of this type of stuff. And I have to say, in addition to the, what I just said about the journey, I understand the plight and the real hard journey of the African-American, but I must tell you, America's been really good to me really good to me. It it was way beyond my dream of how good this country and this city called Milwaukee, Wisconsin has been to me. And so as I'm winding down, I started to think, what can I do for it? I got to return the favor because it's been too good to me. So I started to play around with all kinds of ideas. And I got to a point a couple of years ago and I thought, you know what? I'm just not going to stray from what I know. And I thought, track and field, was how all of this started. That little club called the Abilene Wildcats Track Club back in my hometown of Arima, Trinidad, is how this started. So when I look at how cold this place can get for six months out of the year, I thought, yeah, how about if I could find a way to build an indoor sports facility? The original idea was an indoor sports facility where I can get young boys and girls to come to run and surround them with positively thinking adults who can help frame their lives around that journey. So we can convince them, listen, if I could do it, you can do it too. I'm just a simple guy. But as in everything you do in life, it starts off with one idea, but then they evolve. And people kept telling me, not everybody runs. I thought, okay, well, I'll expand it to other sports. Not everybody plays sports. So, okay, we talked about social determinants on health and all of the trauma and other things that are afflicting, especially poor people in Milwaukee and the surrounding communities, that it started to just expand. But then I heard about what Damian Bookman was doing with the Ability Center, and he wanted to do something similar, but for people with disabilities. And I never thought about people with disabilities. So I called them and told them, hey, I, I got to show you something, which was where I think this ought to be and share with them my idea. And that's how this combination of my ideas and his, which to me is just magnificent to create what we call the Opportunity Center. And as we start to explore it and do some research, we realize there is no such thing in urban America for what we envision, which is a place where children 
and families could come to play, but they will get so much more than just play. Play is the spine, if you will, the nervous system of this facility, but we will do a whole lot more than play. I am part of the original team that formed SWIM, Scaling Wellness in Milwaukee, with Mike and Amy Lovell, two of the my two people I love so dearly and to see how that could fit into the Opportunity Center and other things. When we build this, there will be no other. I'm hoping it's replicated around the country and around the world, but it is my hope and it is my dream that people will flock to Milwaukee, Wisconsin to see this in action and to see how this could work for their communities. That would be an awesome day. Well, it will be an awesome day, yes. right? We'll put that it in. <laughs> we'll it put will. that out there. Talk to us about where the Opportunity Center is going to be located and why you chose that location. The Opportunity Center requires quite a bit of space. First of all, it has to have a track. I can't build it without track and field. And so the original, the design as, as it is today requires a 300-meter track because it's inside. The reason for 300 versus 200 is in a 300-meter track, the turn angles for a wheelchair is much, it's not as steep, so the, the wheelchair can turn. And every sport, every activity that will be performed in the facility must include people with disabilities. There will be no opt-out for people with disabilities like, well, you can't get through that door or you can't turn your wheelchair. No, that's not going to be an option. So that's why it requires a lot of space. The site where it's located, it couldn't be more perfect. It's north of Capitol Drive on Green Bay Road, just off the freeway. So the visibility of this is profound. You can't get any better than that. It's about 22 acres of land. I don't know how long you've been in Milwaukee or how old you are, but some people will recognize this as the location of Rankin Sun car dealership used to be there. And so the visibility of it is absolutely perfect. But the best part is if you think about what we want to build, you can't get more equity than that, right? And literally across the street is some of our poorest neighborhoods to the west, to the east, and to the northeast is some of our richest neighborhood. And we want all of them, oh, and I'm serious, all of them to come and play together. Because when people play together, they start to build kinship together. And we don't need to actually sit the children down to talk about race, to talk about the economic differences, to talk about the educational differences in the act of playing. Those conversations will take place organically and authentically, and we will start to build bonds between Whitefish Bay and Sherwood and Glendale and Macquan with Rufus King in 53206, our, one of our poorest zip codes in the country, in 53212 in the Harambe neighborhood, without forcing it upon them. And that is magical to me. So your partner in this visionary work, Damien, mm -hmm. Damien 
is a cancer survivor. Yeah. Damien is an advocate, a speaker. He is an inspiration, much like you are. But He's an inspiration you, to me. He is an inspiration. And But you said when you were thinking about this project, you hadn't considered the type of expertise or opportunity potentially that Damien would be bringing as you partnered. What else have you learned from Damien? Yeah, resolve. I think that guy is the poster child for that word. He tells you about 30-something knee replacement surgeries with a smile. I've never seen anybody do that. He lives with a kind of urgency that I just wish could be bottled and sold to every human being on this planet. He wants it all and he wants it now. Why? Because I think he, he looks at life in a way that he's living on extra time. When you're a child and a doctor tells your mother, take him home and just keep him comfortable for him to die. That's the kind of stuff that I, I don't think we know how to deal with it. But unless somebody, they tell it to you, you recognize it. I don't think we can all deal with that, right? So that guy functions at a pace that I don't understand, but he gets things done and he inspires us all. We are different personality types, but I learn a lot from him, from that aspect. He's as positive as ever. And the other thing that I think I learned from him, but I haven't really mastered it yet, he doesn't sort of tell people or show people this kind of empathy in the sense of just, oh, man, I wish it was different. The guy gets into a wheelchair, straps himself into a wheelchair, and functions as if his legs do not work and meet these children and families where they are so they could relate. When you're sitting in a chair looking over at another human being in a chair, there's a kind of parody that happens that those who are standing on their two feet could never understand. And he functions in that space. And I think that is so credible and is so great to tell another human being without actually telling them, you and I are equal. You might feel you can't stand up like me or you can't run like him, but we are one and we're equal. And I'm learning constantly to make adjustments in my life to kind of do that more. It's not a natural thing for me, but I'm practicing it in a way. So you mentioned meeting people where they are, which from what I've seen, is what the Opportunity Center is seeking to do. Absolutely. Why now? Why the urgency? Well, because the children are dying. It's as simple as that. They steal cars. They drive them down the street recklessly, as if not so much to hurt people, but I think a lot of it is because, so what if I get hurt? It's now because... We have to instill hope in young people and in families that are under stress. And we have to show them the way out of where they are. We have to put a goal in front of them and point them and give them the tools to head towards that goal. And the best way or the way I think it ought to be done is in one place where you can come to that place and get all of these tools to get you where you need to be. And that's what I think the Opportunity Center has the potential 
to do. So yeah, it's now. And again, it's now that I've met my colleague, Damien Bookman. It has to be now because the guy lives now. He, de- he doesn't, he doesn't function as if there is tomorrow. Why? Because he, like I said just now, he doesn't understand what tomorrow is because he wasn't supposed to have one. Right. And so it is now for all of these, all of the folks we're thinking about the place and how they will, will benefit. Secondly, listen, I think if we put off stuff till tomorrow, we'll never do this because what I've learned from him, there really is no tomorrow. And really why the reason why there is no tomorrow, it's not guaranteed any one of us, right? We can't go f- walking around as if, yeah, let me just put this off. Well, if you know something I don't know, you, you go ahead. But I have no idea when it's my time. So yeah, we're going to work at it, at it, and we're going to continue to work at it as if it is now. And it is now because the people we want to heal, the people we want to help, they gave up on tomorrow. What's the most fulfilling part of this work, of this project, this journey to achieve the Opportunity Center? It's the exclamation point on my life. It's the thing that I say, boom, that's it. I started at a point, Irene and Leslie Cumberbatch brings this child into the world. There, I, I could only imagine them thinking, well, now what? And he's in the hospital. We can't feed the family. There's just this constant change that's going on. And then all of a sudden, you flip the equation and say, we the parents believe in you. You take the point. And here we go for this ride. And I want to end this with this facility that says, thank you. Thank you for the, for sending me on this path. I will change absolutely nothing. Nothing. Give me the asthma. Give me the poverty. Give me my parents. I don't want anybody else's parents. I don't care how wealthy they may be or how smart they may be. Those are the two people that brought me here. Give me my sisters, my brothers, right? Give me my wife, my three children. Yeah. Those are just gifts that, what did I do to deserve all of that? I mean, I didn't do a single thing in this life to get all of those gifts, and they were all given to me. I can't be that selfish and not wrap it all in a box and give it back. Frank, you are a gift to so many, to Milwaukee, to the children whom the Opportunity Center will serve in all of your other personal and professional endeavors. I want to thank you for sharing your story today and sharing your passion. Certainly, really tremendous lessons to take away from today. Thank you. Well, I want to thank Athena Communications for believing in me, for believing in what Damien and I want to do And to take this opportunity to say, thank you, Milwaukee. Thank you, America. Thanks, Frank. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to Leadership is in Session, powered by Athena Communications. Be sure to catch all eight enlightening episodes. And don't forget to connect to On the Edge of Equity with Tammy Belton Davis, available wherever you get your podcasts.